0: Welcome to the Ready, Set, CEO podcast. I'm Melissa Froelich, and I'm deeply passionate about helping women create aligned and sustainable businesses. I'm so glad you're here because that means you are ready to start embracing your leadership role as the CEO of your business. Sustainable business growth starts inside ourselves. Stepping into our CEO role allows us to create strategy that is in alignment for us and our own individual and unique businesses. And when it happens, things finally start to feel right. So let's get started. Okay, so today I am very, very excited to have my client and friend Sam Abbott with us, who is just a powerhouse in her own right. She is a true leader. And I've been working with you what, about a year now, I would say, is yeah, that right? About a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have Sam on here to talk about her own journey in the online and entrepreneurial space and just all of the things involved in stepping further into her CEO role and truly like honoring what's important to you in your seasons of life. I think that you have done such a great job of navigating this, and I know it's going to be really inspiring to my audience. So before we jump in, would you tell us a little bit about you and what you do in your own words?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My name is Sam and I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and I own a PCOS nutrition company where I provide non-diet nutrition coaching for folks with PCOS. And I really specialize more in binge eating for PCOS and blood sugar management. So if somebody has been diagnosed with prediabetes or type 2 diabetes and they feel like dieting is not working for them, then I am the person to help. I do practice from a weight inclusive lens. So I incorporate a lot of health at every size principles and intuitive eating principles into my framework, which I think makes me pretty unique because the PCOS space is very heavy in the weight loss philosophies. And then in addition to nutrition coaching, I also offer business coaching services. So from a one-to-one aspect, I primarily work with wellness professionals who are looking to grow their businesses. And then I also provide uh, social media strategy sessions for anyone who wants to learn more about social media marketing, um, which is where I have really been able to thrive with getting clients and having larger course launches is on Instagram.
0: So many things I want to dive into there. Take us back. When did you bring your business into the online space?
1: So, I've actually always loved being in the online space. I started blogging like 10 years ago and I was really into like blogging and SEO strategy, and I did my own website. And then when i graduated with my rd that kind of evolved into my coaching website because i used to have a brick and mortar practice and so i kind of incorporated my blog into that uh, website and then um, in terms of social media marketing and really growing my practice I spent more time on that when the, I'm afraid to say the P word, when the panini hit in in 2020. I had to close my brick and mortar practice, which with SEO, I never really thought about social media marketing before because people just found me through my website, but I had a brick and mortar practice. And so when I shifted everything online in 2020, that's when I got really into social media marketing.
0: When you first started compared to what you're doing today, like how much effort do you put into, or how much time and in terms of your marketing goes into the social media side of things versus mm, the SEO piece? I think that would be fun Mm -hmm. to kind of explore because I mean, I know what this looks like, but
1: (laughs) well, I think. SEO is great because it's something that lives on. Whereas, like, I think with social media strategy, you do have to continue to show up and put time and effort into things. So, I would say in 2020, a majority of my focus was on social media marketing. Whereas now, a majority of my focus has shifted more into SEO and my website. Do you mean like actually a time commitment per week or something? Yeah. Like that? I
0: mean, or more of just like what you're describing now, like that shift, right? It's sort of like, it's not that something is necessarily 20 hours of your time. There's this balance, right? It's sort of realizing that both are important for different reasons, I think mm-hmm. is what I wanted to do. And, and that you've kind of gone back to leaning more into the optimization of the SEO piece because I'm going to just kind of tell this part of the story, <laughs> yeah. and elaborate on it because of not wanting to have to be responsible for as much of the effort, direct effort into the marketing, wanting to leverage more of that organic marketing. And so knowing that the effort that you were going to put in needs to go into the SEO optimization part. Like one of the things that I love about you is you are so good with the data and looking at (laughs) what's working, what can be optimized and just like diving in. So like, how did you decide, okay, it's time to... Put some effort into the SEO piece of it now again?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So, I've always been interested in websites and SEO and Google Analytics and things like that. And then in 2020, I was working with a business coach who was very into social media marketing. And I kind of regret. I learned so much about social media marketing, so I'm grateful for that. But there was kind of like this attitude of like, you don't even need a website to get clients, which is true. You don't. But at the same time, your website is always something that could be working in the background for you. I made the shift. So I'm working on a house renovation and we bought a house in 2021 and took it down to the studs. And we're really at the point now where a lot of things are happening there are a lot of decisions that need to be made my schedule is a little unpredictable like my contractor might call me and be like hey can you is there any way you can swing by the house today and i was getting really burned out with social media from the sense that a couple of things number 1 people can be really nasty in the dms when you grow your account um i have about 70,000 followers and so I was definitely reaching a point where I just felt like no matter what I said or no matter what I posted, somebody was having some sort of critical feedback for me, which when you are doing social media, right, that's a normal thing that happens because you should be polarizing to the point where you're attracting your ideal client and kind of repelling the person that's not your ideal client, which I think is what was happening for me, but just I was in a place where I just felt tired and exhausted. So just no matter what I posted, just getting negative feedback, even if it was just one comment, it was kind of wearing on me.
0: But I feel also- I like people are extra nasty in the wellness space though. Like some of what you oh shared would be just like mind blowing. It, it would drain any person after a while.
1: Yes, yeah. And I think the dietetics field were very split. There are a lot of like non-diet dietitians who I feel like are more concerned with other non-diet dietitians than they yes. are about their own practice, which is a little weird. Yeah. And I think with nutrition too, everyone thinks they're an expert because everyone eats, everyone feels that food has some sort of effect on their health and their weight and things like that. And so I just think that everyone thinks that they have some sort of deeper knowledge about nutrition, not saying that people don't, but like my husband's an accountant, I don't see people like talking to him. like they ask him for financial advice and they don't immediately turn around and be like, well, on Google, what I saw was, you know, that's just something that I feel like is really unique to the nutrition so space. True. Yeah, so that definitely was a motivating factor. And then also with my schedule, I feel like I really thrive on social media when I kind of have this routine where I'll get up in the morning and share a post and kind of talk about the post and stuff like that. And for me, if I have to do some big house thing and I'm sweating and I haven't had a shower, I like don't feel good about like showing up on. So It feels very like inauthentic for me. And just with where I am in this season of life, like that just doesn't feel like the best marketing strategy for me too. So that was another motivating factor in kind of wanting to make that shift.
0: Yeah, I think it's super wise. And it's a good reminder that just because we have something that's working well for us, that we should not look at all the other things that could also support us, right? It's that sustainability piece of things. I mean, how in terms of your business evolving... How is what you offer now different than when you started? And how is that related to knowing yourself more and what lights you up and what doesn't? Let's jump into that.
1: Yeah. So, when I first started my business, I had a brick and mortar practice and I offered one on one sessions. I took insurance, which, for those of you who aren't familiar listening, for a wellness practitioner who takes insurance, it's very easy to get clients because they're not actually paying for the visit. So, very easy to get clients, but you're trading your time for money and there's usually extra work involved. Like if there's an insurance claim where I had an issue, you know, and I have to check with the insurance company, I'm not getting paid for that. So, again, when the pandemic hit, there were a couple months where insurance reimbursements. there were just a lot of issues. And up until then, i I was fine with taking insurance. I really never had an issue with claims. I never had a bill or anything like that. But then, all of a sudden, like at one point, the insurance company was like seven thousand dollars behind in payments. I was having to call like every couple of days for stuff. And I was like, this is not. A sustainable business model for me anymore, or just really opened my eyes to I'm depending on this whole other system for my livelihood. So that's my social media account was growing and I was getting more and more clients. And that's when I really switched to group coaching. And so I had more of a model where. I offer like online modules and then we're in a group together. We have coaching calls every week and that was great as well. I was doing that in one-on-one. And then in the fall of 2020, well, a couple of things happened that really changed a lot for me. One is that in July, I got COVID, which turned into long COVID. So all of a sudden, I was having a lot of health issues, breathing problems, a lot of fatigue. I couldn't hold my neck up when i was seeing clients so with one-on-one sessions i would have to like sit and prop my head up and i would just i could not spend all day sitting at the computer and then i had to have surgery i had to have an ovarian cyst removed and i think i was just like i was not in the best physical shape because i had spent six months basically almost like on the couch with long covid I did not do well during that recovery and was just exhausted all the time. And that really made me feel like, okay, I need to shift my model to where I'm not just always trading my time for money. And Mm -hmm. I was building a, a larger following on social media. And then that's when I got into launching courses. So I did a few course launches. They were very successful. And I've kind of like dabbled, gone a little bit back and forth between digital products and courses and then group coaching. So I think a lot of my evolution has been around me and my personal life and like what's a good fit there. Also, when I decided to go back into group coaching, it was because I missed the connection with clients. It really didn't have as much to do with like a financial need for things. So yeah, I think taking a look at what your potential clients needs are what your own needs are also what's going on in the market too like i think right now we're seeing more of a demand for lower cost digital items in my space so that's been an interesting observation
0: yeah i think we've definitely talked about that a lot and like how can you become more accessible and accommodating to those things and also, one of the things that you know sets you apart from so many other people and really makes you a true leader is because you care about that. It's mm-hmm. you are not somebody that, in in what I've experienced, has ever been driven by the money. It's truly about honoring what's important to you and how you help people with PCOS and also making sure that there's immense amount of value for their investment. So, one of the cool things is like revamping essentially all of the material in your course, right. Mm -hmm. Or in your, your group program, not because that's like your favorite thing in the world to do, but because also part of the evolution, you've continued to invest in yourself as a leader and have learned new approaches to be able to expand on and talk about things that are really important. So let's kind of dive into that a little bit more. I think that's one thing. There's a lot of one things like that's another thing that you do incredibly well is investing in continually becoming the best version of who you are, not only as an individual, but as a leader in the space. So share a little bit about that and just kind of, I mean, whether it's like the haze part of it or even the ADHD side, like how knowing about yourself and exploring also the the elements of, of your industry has continued to shape how you teach and show up.
1: Yeah, I can definitely do that. So for those of you listening who aren't familiar, Health at Every Size is a social justice movement that is really fighting against oppression of people. Everyone in any body size, any identity, any race really deserves respectful health care. And that's kind of the foundation of, of Hayes. And yeah, I as a dietitian, I think it's really important to continue growing your skills in private practice. You know, when you work in a hospital, you're surrounded by a team, you're always learning, you're always being presented with professional development opportunities. And when you work in private practice, you're just on your own. And I actually think our field as a whole we're really doing a disservice to our clients when we graduate from school and we start a practice and we're like, okay, well, I'm the expert now in everything mm-hmm. because you can always be learning and growing and evolving. And so I do try to get as many professional development experiences as I can. I've gotten supervision for PCOS. I've gotten supervision for body image. I've done a lot of different haze trainings. I'm very close to my intuitive eating certification and all of these things have really helped me grow. And with my learning modules for my program, I did those two years ago when I first started specializing in PCOS. So my knowledge with PCOS has grown, but also the way I practice and even the way I talk to clients has completely changed. And that's why I really wanted to redo my modules. Creating modules and learning material is not my favorite thing. I love coaching like face to face, but it was a huge undertaking for me and it, it took a lot to redo all of that. But I definitely did that because I felt like my clients would have a better experience. And Where you mentioned ADHD, I did not know I had ADHD until a couple of years ago. One of my friends, I was just telling her about some of the struggles that I was having in my business, and she was like, I really think you have ADHD, and I did get screened for it, and I was diagnosed with it. ADHD used to be known as ADD, but they've since redone – I'm not an ADHD expert, but I have inattentive ADHD, which just means I have trouble focusing on things that don't interest me. But the flip side of that is I can really hyper focus on things that do interest me. And a great thing about ADHD is there's a big element of like creativity and impulsivity. So like, if there's something that I want to launch or try, like I can just kind of do it without a lot of inhibitions. Whereas I think a lot of other dietitians really like overthink and worry about a lot of new things. Um, But yeah, I've had a really so many things made sense to me when I was diagnosed with ADHD, which I've heard ADHD described as you're not living up to your potential and you know that but you just don't know why. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really great way of describing it. But I was wondering if I should like share some of the symptoms of ADHD. Would that be helpful or do
0: do you think? I I think so, because okay. There are more and more and more women in my community that are learning that they have it and like understanding how to cope with the diagnosis, but then revamping the way that they approach business in a way that feels better. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the next thing I want to talk about was like boundaries and stuff. So yeah, yeah, if you to do the yeah, symptoms and kind of like maybe some things that you had to shift or prioritize differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So some of the symptoms of ADHD, which I should mention, ADHD is grossly underdiagnosed in women. And that is because in kids, little boys, like having difficulty concentrating and being distracted and being a little hyperactive, like I feel like that's very noticeable. Whereas girls, because of like societal expectations, when we're younger, we do tend to like internalize a lot of things. And so what happens a lot with women is that until you go through a stressful period in your life where things kind of blow up and you you can't compensate for things anymore, uh, we're able to kind of like figure out coping mechanisms for a lot of the symptoms of ADHD. And I was actually diagnosed after I started my business. And that's what my doctor said is that usually it's like a big job change or having a a baby or starting a business or something like that, where people realize that they have it. Uh, But some symptoms are having really good ideas, but not being able to execute any of them. Like if in the morning you make a long to do list, but then you can't make yourself do anything on that list that would be an indicator of adhd being very hyper focused on things that you really love but if it's something that's not interested interesting to you you just it's impossible for for you to do things (laughs) having difficulty with time awareness like if you're always late or you're always losing track of time like that's another that's another big one too the thing is that you have to kind of figure out coping mechanisms that work for you and when i found out that i had adhd i think so many things clicked for me because in traditional business coaching a lot of the systems that people teach about like time blocking or the way you plan things out like they just don't work for me and my whole life I've really beat myself up about procrastinating about things and like waiting until the last minute to do everything Mm. and I've been able to have more acceptance around like this is the way that I work and how can I work with that instead of creating an expectation that I'm going to be able to change that about myself So really learning more about what works for me as an individual. And I think this brings up a really important point is like who we are as people and our life experiences and how we grew up like that doesn't exist independent of your business. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Another piece of ADHD is being like highly sensitive to criticism which it makes sense to me that I would be, be so sensitive to like criticism on Instagram. Whereas maybe if somebody else just got one rogue comment, they could like let that roll off their shoulders mm. a little bit. So I think leaning into who you are as a person and who your how your life experiences have shaped who you are, leaning into that in your business instead of trying to separate that or work against that, that's been really helpful for me.
0: Oh, I love that. So helpful too. I mean, I know that there are so many women out there just in my community alone who have been recently diagnosed, and it's been so eye opening. And then trying to figure out, okay, how can I optimize the way that I do business in order to support this? So I love that you're so openly talking about that.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought it up too, because I think. ADHD is actually really common and it's underdiagnosed in women but more and more people are realizing that they have it and I saw like another business coach and she was like offering something and someone asked like I have ADHD would this be a good fit for me and she said no I'm really not I'm really not educated around that so I probably wouldn't be the best fit and this wouldn't be a good fit and I was like That's really unfortunate because so many people have ADHD that if you are a coach or have a business, you are serving people that are neurodivergent in some way. And it's actually with a little bit of like learning and education, it's not that hard to tweak things like for me, the way I offer material, I offer my material in several different formats because somebody may not be into watching video modules because of being neurodivergent or for another reason, not because they're lazy or they're not motivated. That's how I like redid my program. And I got amazing feedback about that. And so I think when you're willing to just step outside of your comfort zone and learn about something you're not familiar with, I think it can only help your business grow and thrive.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, in full transparency, you and I had a really candid conversation about it in the sense of like, that's not my expertise. I don't have ADHD myself, but I also was like, if you're willing to be open with me, I can learn to best support you. And I think that's one thing that you do very, very well is explain how... I can best support you as a coach, right? So like let's take redoing your modules for example, it wasn't just I need to redo them by this date. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's chunk this down and you're you're doing this one Week at a time. And so managing this thing that you're like, oh, it's not my favorite, but I want to get this done. So there is accountability, but in a way that felt manageable instead of overwhelming to you, right? Versus I might have another client that's just like, I need to redo my modules. I'm going to have it done by X date. Boom, that's enough for them. But mm-hmm. learning to also, and I think that's part of having the relationship. I know that I can ask you, okay, tell me how I can best support you through this goal that you have or this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, it's powerful because you continue to explore how you can get the support. And then that is also impacting how you're showing up for your clients. So mm-hmm. I think it's just another example of how investing in yourself, putting effort into your self-leadership, like that's only going to spill over to the transformation and the results that you can provide for your clients. So massive, massive win-win. I want to jump into we're going to kind of combine this between lessons and advice. So when you think back to all of your experience in this entrepreneurial journey, like what are some lessons like that stand out in your mind or pieces of advice based on those lessons that you would share? Like if you went back to the beginning stages, what are some things that you might tell yourself based on what you've learned through the journey?
1: Well, one big one would definitely be that failure is a part of business and failure is a part of growing. Mm -hmm. So if you try something and it doesn't go the way you planned, I would embrace that and figure out how you can make it a learning experience so you can shift and do something better next time. Um, I think so often when we try to be perfect and if we have a launch or a product and it doesn't do well, that can feel really discouraging, but it's actually, it's just part of having a business um i also think that when you keep your eye on serving clients and really providing a quality experience your clients are always going to be loyal to you and Mm -hmm. they're going to be your best source of marketing so i think so often people get really stuck in the processes in the money aspect but really, client experience, in my opinion, should be at the top. And then lastly, you brought this up, but monitor your data and your numbers. Like I'm if you're, so happy if
0: you're bringing that up.
1: <laughs> if you're using social media for marketing, you need to be looking at your analytics to see what's working and what's not. If you're selling things on Instagram and email, you want to keep track of where your sales are coming from so you know where you need to improve or what's working for you there are so many great ways to look at data now, but data should really guide your decisions and your choices.
0: So let's dig into that a little bit more because I think that this is a massive superpower of yours. And I love that you mentioned that you're doing some social media training because I think anybody who has a business needs to learn from you. How did you learn to understand your data? Like give us one example. If you could give just one little nugget out to the audience, something they could do in terms of looking at, we'll just take Instagram since that's your your world. What is something that you wish that every freaking person would pay attention to and most people don't when it comes Mm -hmm. to data?
1: Well, from the clients that I work with, it's just looking at your Instagram analytics in general, you would be surprised at how many people don't even look at them, but you can go in and you can sort... Instagram is interesting because you have certain data points that are helping you with growth like views and shares and reach. But then you have other metrics that are helping you connect with clients like website clicks or whether they DM you and things like that. So um, you can go in and look at your data from like the past – month three months six months if you've never looked at your data i would go back like six months and just kind of look around at the different metrics but social media should really just be about recreating what you know works and you don't really know what works if you if you um aren't looking at your analytics and something i see a lot in the dietetic space is dietitians are looking at engagement on their posts, but it's really that engagement is coming from family members and friends Mm. and other dietitians, not potential clients. So you really have to kind of put on your business slash marketing hat and dig into the numbers.
0: So good. I know. I, I wonder... How many people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, I've never looked, but let this be the encouragement to go look, start somewhere, right? It's Mm -hmm. never too late. And we, we all have more that we can dig into, but learn from your efforts. I mean, I think that that's the big lesson here. You want to make sure that you're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And sometimes it feels like that when you're first starting out and that's okay because you're doing something, but now go and start to figure out how you can refine
1: yeah, definitely. And what I hear a lot from my clients is that they don't want to look at their analytics because they're afraid of what they're going to see. Mm. And I totally get that fear. Like that's a completely valid feeling, especially if you've invested a lot of time and energy into post. But I think that social media is always evolving. And we tend to think of presenting content from a way of what we think is important. And that's not always the way that your audience receives it. Like you want to be focused on what your audience feels like is important.
0: Love it. Thank you so much. I feel like you are such an inspiration to so many people. I mean, you really have continued to grow and become so well-known in the dietetic space, but also you continue to honor your values and what's important to yourself. And that's one of the many, many things that I admire about you. So Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. If anybody listening wants to connect for a social media strategy session, feel free to DM me on Instagram at PCOS.nutritionist, or you can go to my website, PCOSnutritionco.com, and actually just book a strategy session on my website.
0: And I will tell you, you will not regret this. Like Sam (laughs) is truly a goldmine. All right, my friend, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with everyone today. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much as always, thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode. It was truly a pleasure to spend time with you. If you're not already part of our free community on Facebook, please join me inside of the Uplevel lounge. You can also check out melissafroelich.com or follow along on Instagram, melissafroelich underscore biz to find out the most current ways that I can support you in stepping further into your CEO role right now.